Guys, the last couple of weeks have been insane. I'm so tired, but also so just hyped about what's going on here. And thanks for being a part of that. Like, God's doing something ridiculous, and I'm along for the ride, and so are you guys. And so thanks for being a part of that. Um, and you saw on there both Salt Company and our church, Salt City Church, which meets every Sunday in the Commons Hotel at 10 o'clock. And so if you're a part of Salt Company, we want you to be a part of Salt City Church as well. Um, but yeah, if you were at that kickoff, guys, I talked about this last Sunday, but there was this moment where we're standing there with all of this stuff set up and I'm just like, gosh, please someone come like, just please somebody come. And then we just see this flood of students coming out onto that lawn and we stood in the middle of this campus and worship Jesus. Like that's crazy to be a part of that. And so thanks for being a part of that. And that's what we do every week at Saul Company. We open the Bible we sing worship songs to Jesus. We talk about Jesus because we think he's awesome. And so we're going to keep doing that. And when I was thinking about how to, how to start out Salt Company, we've been thinking about this kind of like first normal week of Salt Company for a while. And we actually wanted to start out with our foundations. So we wanted to kind of explain to you who we are, uh, what, like what the stuff is that we care about, what's that like the heartbeat of who we are. And so this is, like this triangle is, oh, nope, the triangle, there we go. We'll get to that, we'll get there, thanks. I like the eagerness. Um, so this triangle is, is simple but explains who we are. Um, we, we wanna talk about up, your relationship vertically with God. We wanna talk about in, your relationship with each other and your Christian community. We wanna talk about out, your relationship with people that aren't Christians or who are different from you or, or not as privileged as you are and how you can kind of impact them and what that means for you to be salt and light in the world. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about this triangle. And the idea is, is that we wanna be balanced, right? So we don't wanna be all up and a little bit in and no out or vice versa, right? We want that triangle to be balanced. But in order to have that triangle in our lives, the centerpiece of that is Jesus. That he's the, the focal point and the centerpiece of kind of every part of who we are. He's the foundation and ultimately everything comes back to him. So tonight we're talking about up. And we can kind of summarize what we're after with this question, which seems pretty basic because we're at like a Christian ministry thing. But this is the question I want to get at. Who is God and how can we know him? Who's God? How can we know him? And, and that question is actually pretty similar to the question of what's truth and how do we find it? So do you guys know what's like written on the side of this building? No, you don't because we don't actually look at that. Probably not. You don't. But okay, go ahead and throw that up. So I, I saw this like the first day that I was on campus here because I nerd out like that about university buildings. But the University of Minnesota founded in the faith that men are ennobled by understanding, dedicated to the advancement of learning and the search for truth. So, so I asked you guys this question at the kickoff. Why are you here? Why are you at college, right? And I said, you're going to answer that question different ways and that's going to impact the way that you live your life. So actually, we just got an answer for what the university says about why you're here. The University of Minnesota says that you're here, that you're at this university or whatever university that you go to, to search for truth. But the question is, is like, how do you, how do you find that? And, and what the university will tell you or what a lot of your friends will tell you or what kind of the common worldviews will tell you is that, that truth has to be kind of discovered 
through a lot of work, a lot of effort, right? And, and the way that you're going to find it is through accumulating knowledge and using your reason to kind of come to this conclusion about what truth is. But here's the problem. Like super smart people throughout the history of the world has completely foundationally disagreed on that question. Like what is truth? You, you talk to any person, you're going to get different answers. You talk to some of the, the most genius people the world has ever seen, you're going to get different answers. And the reality is we don't really know. And, and, and people will try and solve that problem with something called relativism, which is this idea that you have your truth, I have my truth, right? But that's like just hot nonsense. I don't know why I said hot before nonsense, but I get fired up about relativism. I, that doesn't make any sense, but I just, I don't, oh, it's nonsense. Here, here's why, because we all know, whether you admit it or not, we know that there's um, a reality beyond us, that there's things that are just, in their nature that are right and wrong. Like if it was my truth that it's fine for me to just slap Travis in the face, you good with that? No, you're not, say no. All right, help me out. Yeah, like, right, like my truth, if it conflicts with your truth, we have issues, right? Who's right, who's wrong? And so here's, here's what I wanna tell you tonight is that truth is not discovered, it's revealed. And it's not relative, it's absolute. Here's what we believe as Christians, that there's an absolute truth. There's this all-encompassing reality beyond us, and it is the authority, not us. And it's actually not in it. His name is God. And he's revealed himself to us. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is how has God revealed himself to us. And I, I want to kind of make the claim to you that he's revealed himself to us in in three ways primarily, that he's revealed himself in creation, he's revealed himself in the Bible, and he's revealed himself by his son. He's revealed himself in creation, he's revealed himself in the Bible, and he's revealed himself by his son. And so tonight we're going to look at Psalm 19. So if you have a Bible or if you have an app, uh, go ahead and open that up. We talk about the Bible every week at Salt Company, and so we'd love it if you bring, brought your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, you can look it up online, but we also are going to have free Bibles for you outside, so just grab one when you leave. We'll remind you of that. But Psalm 19, we're going to start out with 1 through 4. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. Like, do you catch how crazy that is? So, what were you guys doing during Eclipse Day? Remember that little eclipse that happened? Like there was all this buildup to it and then it happened and then everybody kind of forgot about it. Okay, well, I was in on the hype for this eclipse. I don't even know why, but I read this thing that was like, hey, this doesn't happen very often. I was like, all right, sweet, let's go. I'm into this. And so I literally put it on my like to-do list to buy eclipse glasses and I forgot because that's kind of how I live my life. That's just a thing that happens to me. And I forgot. And so the night before the eclipse, I realized I don't have any eclipse glasses. So I'm literally calling like every Walmart within a 10 mile radius asking them if they have eclipse glasses and they're all sold out. I called like 
probably eight different stores to find out if they have eclipse glasses. They're sold out. So now I start Googling what happens if you just stare at the sun during an eclipse. <laughs> and in the first article that came up was like, hey, don't do that. Like staring at the sun is, is bad for your eyes. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe. All right, so I flipped to the next one, and I looked at the next one, and I read this article that, that literally was like, hey, you shouldn't stare at eclipse. And then it goes, no, really, you reading this, don't stare at an eclipse. It's like, all right, this might be a real thing. Well, let's try one more. So I read this article about this person that stared at the last eclipse and literally just burned their retinas in their eyes, and they can't see. So I'm like, all right, guess I'm not looking at the eclipse. And uh, so I'm like super bummed about this, like just... Yeah, like I'm bummed I'm going to miss this thing. And it, it gets to eclipse day, and this is what happened. There it is. That's me and Hannah. We're just staring. We're just, we're just, we're just looking. It's a real flattering photo of us, isn't it? <laughs> Not really. But, okay, you can take that down. So, I like, what happened? I knew I shouldn't look. But I got outside, and I couldn't help it. I stared at that thing. And I, I'm not blind, so I think everything's fine. Um, but I just stared right at that eclipse. Why? Like, it's literally just like a ball that is covering up another ball. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. But there's something about creation, right, that's, there's something transcendent. There's something beyond us that we can't help but feel and look at and think about it. Like, okay, so maybe you're not like that into the eclipse, but like, have you ever just like laid out and looked at the stars? Like, I remember one night I was driving home at like two in the morning for some reason, and it was like a perfect, gorgeous, clear night, so I just pulled over on the side of the highway and laid on my hood of my car and just looked at the stars. And you feel like simultaneously like incredibly small and really big because you're a part of something that's like so much bigger than you. That's God. God wrote himself into creation. He put his essence into everything around us, which what does that tell us about God? One, that he's stinking powerful, right? Like if you can just like write yourself into the world, like you're a pretty big deal. Two, that God wants to be known. He wants to be known. He wants to be enjoyed. He wants to be worshipped. And so he revealed himself to us. But here's the thing, it doesn't seem like it worked, right? So it's not like everybody's like staring up at the eclipse like we are, and then it's like, oh my gosh, God exists, and then everyone just converted and went to church. Like, that's, that's not what happened. They looked at the eclipse and were like, oh, that's cool, and then they just went back to work and forgot about it. So if God wrote his essence into creation so that we would know him, what went wrong? Well, Romans 125 answers that question. You don't have to flip there, I'll just read it to you. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here's what happened is we exchanged the truth about God that he's written himself into creation for a lie that this whole thing isn't really about something greater. It's just an end in and of itself. And we get distracted by creation the very thing that was supposed to be this giant arrow pointing to the existence of God, we get consumed by. And I want to ask you, like, what's distracting you in creation? Like, like, what is it in your life that was meant to tell you about God's goodness, but you're just focused on that thing? Is it the girl? Is it success? 
Is it your family? Is it, is it your friends? What is it? Like, what's that thing that's distracting you? What's the good thing that's become an ultimate thing for you? And I just want to tell you you're missing out. That thing's good because it was meant to point you to the source of all goodness. And if you just get stuck there at the thing itself, you're going to miss out on, on what it was made to point you towards, to a relationship with God of the universe. What are you distracted by? What creation have you settled for instead of the creator? So we got distracted by creation. And so God chose to kind of reveal himself even further. So it's like a funnel, right? It starts big, like God writes his essence into creation and says, look at me, I'm big and I'm amazing and I'm beautiful. But then he kind of lowers it in like a funnel and he writes himself into a book. He writes us a book that describes him so that we can know him and it describes what it's like to follow him. It's verses seven through nine back in Psalm 19. It's, a, it's, it's almost like a, they actually sang this as a song. It's almost like a worship song about the Bible, which is kind of crazy. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, so I want to make two observations kind of taken from that for you about the Bible. One, that the Bible is trustworthy, and two, that it's the authority. The Bible is trustworthy, and it's the authority. So some of you guys are here tonight because you badly want to experience God, which is a good thing. But the difficulty is, is that we can assume that what it means to know God or to have an experience with him is to have these kind of big mountaintop transcendent spiritual experiences. And so you're going to chase those moments, right? And so every time you're in a a connection group, we're going to tell you more about those later. If you're in Salt Company, like you got to be in one of those. Every time you're in a connection group, you're going to expect it to be like the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And every time you come to Salt Company, you want to have kind of this amazing worship experience where you're just kind of blown away by what happens. Or maybe for you, you're going to jump from ministry to ministry and you're not going to actually get involved in one because you want the perfect like worship service and then your perfect group of friends and a different ministry and the perfect church service somewhere else. You're going to jump from things to things, looking for this kind of hyper-spiritual experience. And I'm not saying that God doesn't work in supernatural ways, but what I am saying is if you're focused on that, you're going to miss the fact that in your ordinary daily walk in life, you can know God through like ordinary stuff. Like if you want God to speak to you personally, open the Bible and read it out loud. Like that's, that's the type of authority that the Bible has is that, that Jesus himself like spoke himself into that word. And what we believe as Christians is that God guided the process of putting together the scriptures so that it's as authoritative as if Jesus was telling you it himself. So like if I told you that Jesus like physically like actually was like right outside those doors, I hope you would stop listening to me and run and talk to him. And what I'm telling you is, that the Bible is just like that. that. That God can speak to you through his word. 
because he wrote his essence down in a story and he just handed it to you. He gave you access to it. And some of you are freaked out about God's will for your life. Okay, I talk to you guys all the time about what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to work? What am I supposed to major in? And you talk about God's will. And your general theory on discovering God's will for your life is like if you get this kind of peace about it. And I don't have a clue what that means, honestly. You want to know God's will for your life? He wrote it down for you. Like you open up the Bible and you read about it and you discover the way that God wanted you to live and how you should interact with him. He, he doesn't want you to be confused and lost. He hasn't kind of hidden his nature from you. He's fully revealed himself. When you read the Bible out loud, you hear God talk. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, here's the thing. If you admit that in the right circles, you're going to take some heat for it. Like, that is not a, a very popular opinion to have that the Bible is trustworthy and a source that you should kind of wrap your life around, right? So, so I was a talker in class. You know the class talkers? Like the people that like raise their hand at the end of class and ask a question when everybody's trying to leave? Or the people that are like in a lecture hall this size or bigger are like constantly talking to the professor? Okay, so that was me. I don't necessarily recommend it. I've kind of moved on from those ways, but that's just kind of how I rolled. And I also just, I just like to induce chaos in things sometimes. Like I just like to kind of poke at stuff and see what happens. And so I walked into my first class ever as a freshman. It was a political science class and it started out with a discussion. The professor walked up and just wrote on the board, should we have gone into Iraq? Which dates me a little bit, but like George Bush was president, all right guys? And so like these people are standing up and are like just fired up about how terrible Bush is and how we never should have gone into Iraq, which honestly, I don't care about one way or the other. But when I want to induce a little chaos, I'll kind of say something to get people fired up. So there's all, everybody's on the same side and that's boring. So I stood up and I said, you guys are all flip-floppers. Like you thought this was a great idea when September 11th happened. You thought this was great until hindsight's 2020, guys. And there was this moment of silence, and I sat down, and then everyone lost their minds. <laughs> and, like, just people standing up yelling at me. And, like, there's a dude was, like, dropping an F-bomb on me. And, like, I, like, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. <laughs> Class was a lot more interesting after that. But I, So there's some stuff that people can get mad at you for just because you're kind of being an idiot like I was. <laughs> um, but there's some stuff that's true that if you believe it, um, you could be mocked for it. So there's another class that I was in, a, a philosophy class where, again, I was talking all the time. And so the professor was talking to me and we were talking about how, like when it's okay to tell a lie or when deception is okay. And I pretty much was just like, it's just not okay to lie. And so he asked me like, why? Why do you think that? And I said, because that's what the Bible says. And people like audibly started laughing, you know, and my professor just like, all right, forget this guy and moved on. Because that's kind of the, the, the popular view. And you're going you're gonna to hear kind of this argument, right? Like, look, that book's 2,000 years old. It's been changed. It's unreliable. And some of you are going to struggle with that because that sounds like an okay argument, but it's actually just completely not true. So I, I won't do this for long, I promise, but I just am going to nerd out for like a, a split second because I actually think that this is important stuff. Like if you're going to base your entire 
life on a book. Like you should know why that book's reliable. Um, so the Bible actually stands up incredibly well to any historical criticism that you can throw at it. Okay, for example, manuscripts, which I, I, I won't get into that. Don't worry. Okay, stay with me. We're fine, all right? Manuscripts were just copies of the original text. So for ancient books, we don't have the original because they wrote it on like paper, and that was 2,000 years ago, so we don't have that. But what we do have is manuscripts that were written later, and they were copies. And all you need to know is the more manuscripts you have, the better. Because if there's one manuscript that, that says one thing, and then you have like 1,000 that says the other thing, you now know what the original said, right? It's like what the 1,000 the manuscripts say. So the more manuscripts, the better. The best secular book that we have from antiquity, the best secular ancient book is the Iliad. Have you guys heard Iliad, Odyssey, right? It's an incredibly reliable book that people don't really question. It has 643 manuscripts, which is actually really good. That's a lot of manuscripts. The New Testament has 14,000. 14,000. Look, we could keep going about age of manuscripts, about textual criticism, all this stuff. Here's my point. The Bible is the most historically reliable ancient book in the world, and it's not even close. So I'm just asking you like, not to make weird, ridiculous argu arguments about the Bible without actually looking into it. And I'm not saying you have to go and study all the facts. Actually, what I want to ask you is, have you just read it? Like, do you have issues with the Bible, but you haven't actually just read it? Have you just read through it like a book and investigated what it says? You owe it to yourself this year to do that if you haven't. But to me, the, the, the bigger question is not the historical reliability or whatever, because here, here's what we know. We know that we have the words of Jesus. We know what he said, who he hung out with, what he did. But the question is, is do you believe him? And, and I think where the issue comes in is not in kind of the factual evidence for the Bible, but it comes in in kind of the second observation that we wanted to make, which is that the Bible is the authority. And we don't really like authority. We tend to kind of just reject it. And look, we, we talk a lot about salvation by grace. Okay, we're going to talk about that at Salt Company, that you're saved not by what you can do, but by grace. But here's what you need to know is that grace changes the way that you live. That, that following Jesus means way more than just knowing some stuff about him and, and kind of showing up on Thursdays and then living however you want. It means that he's the king of your life and you're not. That he's the authority and you're not. Have you submitted your autonomy to his authority? Have you submitted your autonomy to his authority? And here's the thing. He's made his authority clear through this book called the Bible. And I just want to ask you, is there, is there tension, is there friction between what you find in the Bible and your life? Because the Bible says some kind of hard stuff, guys. Like it talks about your sex life and it should, be, it should be limited to marriage. And I know, yeah, we're going there first week. That might not be like a great strategic idea, okay? But like, here's the deal. I'm just gonna tell you what I think is true, all right? And, and you can be here and disagree with that and I'd love to talk to you about that, okay? But it, it talks to you about your sex life. It talks to you about drugs and alcohol. It says you shouldn't get drunk, 
and it says you shouldn't drink underage. It says a lot of things that are kind of difficult, and so my question is, is when you bump up against that authority that's not actually just some ancient book, but it's the self-revelation of God, it's not just the authority of a book, it's the authority of God, will your life conform to it, or will you try and change it for what you believe, for what you want? And, and for some of you, that idea is authority is hard because you've had abusive authority in your life, right? You've had dads that weren't great to you, or you've had, you know, professors or employers that are jerks to you. But God isn't just some, like, distant deity in the sky that's telling you what to do. He's a dad that cares about you and wants what's best for you. The question is just whether you're going to trust him or you're going to trust yourself. And here's the thing. Some of you genuinely want to do what Jesus asks of you. Like, you know that he's the authority, but you're still caught up in sin. And you can't actually stop. Why? Because even though God has shown us what he's like and how we should live in response, we're actually powerless to live that way. We have the knowledge of God in our heads, but we lack the desire for God in our hearts. And so we need something that would not just inform our minds, but would change what we love. Because ultimately, you're going to do what you want. You're going to pursue what you love. And so we need something that's going to change what we love. And ultimately, only love can do that for you. So after God revealed himself in creation, after he revealed himself in his word, he revealed himself by his son. I'm actually going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 4 for this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine, out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That same God that spoke his essence into creation can speak his love into your heart by his son. Jesus is the fullness of the self-revelation of God. He's what it's been about the whole time. He's the one that God has wanted you to know. And what was once whispers in the stars and words on a page has become expressed in history. And do you know that Jesus is what this entire book, the Bible, that that whole book's about him. Like it's not a quote book to help you live a better life, to like put a bumper sticker on the back of your car or like make you play better basketball, right? It. It's not a, a rule book to kind of like shape, just shape your morality. It is that, but it's so much more than that. It's a story with an introduction, a conflict, rising action, climax, resolution. It's a story all about Jesus. And the story opens in this amazing world where we see everything that's good. God speaks creation into existence and where there's peace and unity between God and humans. But the conflict pretty comes, quick, comes pretty quickly. It only takes like three chapters into the Bible to get to the conflict. And it's when humans stab God in the back. It's when we choose to reject his authority for our authority, and in the process, the world died. And the entire Old Testament is the story of God coming after his people, like pursuing them and wanting to have a relationship with them and to bring things back to the way that they ought to be. And it's also the story of God's people rejecting him. But then there was a promise 
that there was a person coming who would make everything new, that would make everything sad come untrue, that he would remake the world and then he'd remake us into the way that we ought to be. And 2,000 years ago, hope was born in Bethlehem. God is born as this like little kid, which is one of the craziest, like mind-blowing facts in the history of the world. But there's still this tension, right? Like how does this little baby save the world? And the answer was through selfless sacrifice. That Jesus was going to make peace with humanity on the cross. That's why the cross is so important. It's the only way to peace with God. And, and Jesus is, has proven to the world that he's the rightful authority by raising from the dead. And he's, he's working in the world to push back suffering and darkness and bitterness and sin and pain until he brings everything back to the way that it ought to be. That's the hope that we have as Christians, that everything is going to be back to the way it should have been in the beginning and even better because Jesus can do that, because Jesus is amazing. History is about Jesus. It's his story. The Bible is a story about Jesus. He's the hero. And when you see that story, like when you actually see it for what it is, it becomes your story. It's no longer just kind of this narrative outside of you. It becomes what your life is about. You get wrapped up into it. And so the question is, have you joined that story? Like, is that what you're about? Is that what you believe? Is that what's consumed and dominated your life? Have you listened to the revelation of God? Or are you living your own story? And when his story becomes your story, you start to see God for who he is and it changes everything about you. So I want to actually go back to Psalm 19. If you still have it open, Psalm 19, 10. It's talking about the law of God, the rules of God. And it says this, They're more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Okay, what? Like rules are going to be sweeter to us than honey or more valuable than gold. Like when your teacher growing up would like hang up the classroom rules on the wall, would you just be like, yeah, rules, I love it. This is, no, that's weird. So what's going on? How can, how can a list of rules become sweet to you like honey? Well, when it stops being a list of rules and it starts being the way for you to experience the God that you love and that loves you. So my sophomore year, I went um, overseas to, to Turkey and uh, my, my wife, Jessamy, and I, Jessamy's here, right? Hey, wave, that's her. Hey, Jessamy. Uh, we, were, we were freighting at the time, like friend dating. Like it was, it was complicated. We like weren't really dating, but we were kind of acting like we were. And so I went to Turkey, and because of the rules of the organization, like we couldn't really communicate, and so we wrote each other letters. But they were like open at this date, right? So you, you open one in May, June, July, whatever. And I would just like sit there in Turkey looking at this letter and it's like June 2nd and it's like open July 5th and I'm like, dang it, I want to open this. And I would like think about it and I'm like, no, wait, you know. And then that day would come and I, I, I don't know, this is maybe getting a little sappy. I, it just is what it is, guys. And I'd like, I'd like run and get that thing and I'd open it up, right? Nobody had to like wake me up and be like, Jordan, you got to go get the letter, right? Like I, it, it wasn't hard for me because it was a letter from somebody that, that I loved. And when you, when you see who Jesus is, that's what the, the Bible becomes like to you. 
The primary purpose of, of the Bible is not to just kind of look at yourself and figure out what you need to go do for God. That's, that's a part of it, but the primary purpose of the Bible is to encounter and experience Jesus. Like you can have a conversation with God. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? Like here's what happened. Like you, you read the Bible and God talks to you and then you talk to him in prayer. That's, that's nuts. Like when I figured that I'd spent my entire life going to the Bible, just feeling condemned and then resolving to do better and never actually doing better and coming back and feeling condemned again. And it turns out I was really bad at reading it consistently because that wasn't very much fun for me. But when you open up that book, like you can talk to God, you can know him because he's revealed himself to you. And so I want you to read the Bible, not to just finish or to get through it, but to change. To see Jesus, to be amazed by him, and to let him transform your life. And I just want to ask you, like, if you actually believe what I'm saying is true, how would that change your life? Like, genuinely. Like, if you actually can just talk to God and read about him and experience him, how would that change your life tomorrow? Wouldn't that reality be worth reorienting your entire life? Like, wouldn't it be worth it this year to say, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to figure out who Jesus is. I'm going to read about him. I'm going to get in community. I'm going to hear about him. I'm going I'm to try and figure out what it means to follow him. Wouldn't that be worth spending your life pursuing, spending this year pursuing? Look, you can know God. You can have a relationship with him. You can access him through creation, through his word, and through his son. And, and look, some of you are going to leave here exactly the same. This isn't going to affect you at all. You're just going to walk out and keep living your life. But I think there's some of you in this room that might be going, yeah, I think that's, that's true. And I just wonder like, how that's going to change you. Like, Is he worth pursuing to you? Is he worth figuring out this year? Will his story become your story? I just want to pray that that be the case. All right? You guys pray with me? Jesus, I, I just am mesmerized by you. Like, I just think you're awesome. And I want to spend my life getting to know you. And I just pray we'd be a group of people that just want to know you, Jesus. Like, just, that just think you're awesome. And... And would you just help us to like relentlessly look for you in every component of our daily lives, relentlessly look for you in the Bible, relentlessly look for you in prayer. Would we just yeah, come find you? And the beauty of that is, is like you haven't made that hard to do. Like you've actually pursued us. Before we ever pursued you, you pursued us, you loved us. And so we just, we praise you for that truth. And now... Jesus, the only, the only proper response to your word is worship. So, so we've tried to see you in your word tonight, and now we want to just kind of like proclaim how awesome you are through singing some songs to you because you're worth it and you're awesome. Yeah, we, we love you. Amen.